Hello and welcome to the Samnos podcast. I'm Barry Collins. The Samnos software inside routers and the company's own white boxes conducts dozens of different real-world tests. Everything from the performance of social media sites to video streaming services to video games is accurately measured. But Samnos doesn't need you to be using Twitter or Netflix or Fortnite to be able to test their performance using your broadband connection. The company's uniquely designed tests can use your router to probe all of these different services, even if you've never heard of them, let alone use them. How does Samnos pull this off? In this podcast, I'll be talking to the company's head of measurement operations, Jamie Mason, as we trace the journey of an individual test. In this case, the test for the video game Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. We'll reveal how the company identifies which services to test, how the tests are created, how they run, and what happens to the results that are collected. We're plotting the journey from beginning to end, giving you more detail than ever before on the Samnos methodology. I started by asking Jamie how the company identifies which games it should be testing. So this is actually quite straightforward for us. Uh, we uh, are focused primarily on online games, which makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there, there's a lot of games that are very, very popular that just don't really use much in the way of internet infrastructure. They're not server-based, or if they are server-based, then they're not using infrastructure that's hosted by uh, the game owners or producers, uh, and instead just use peer-to-peer -peer networking, which isn't something that we can realistically test. Mm -hmm. And we also want to look at games that are popular. So uh, there's no real point us testing games that very few people play. Uh, I'm sure it'll be very interesting information for the people who play those games, but we want to cover as many people as possible and give an idea of what you know, your average gamer actually would be playing. Mm -hmm. So we test currently about 23 games at the last count, and we're, we're adding more constantly. Uh, but it's very much a case of what is most appropriate in terms of popularity, in terms of the infrastructure that these games use, and also just how uh, how impacted are they by by latency and packet loss? Is this something where uh, this is a game where users will genuinely notice the difference if they have high latency? So we try and take that into account as well. So once you've identified the game, what next? Once we've worked out what game we want to be able to report on, what game we want to be able to test. Uh, we do a lot of what we call discovery. So um, luckily for us, what this involves is buying the game, installing the game, and playing the game. Uh, <laughs> at this point, <laughs> it's, it's a question of just trying to work out what's going on under the hood. Uh, is there anything really special happening in terms of server discovery? Is the game client doing anything really, really clever? We also do uh, some internet research at this stage, and some games will um, will have a, a list of their available servers just available online, and we can just test straight to those, and that's really handy, and it saves us a lot of time. Other games, uh, unfortunately, including some of the most popular games, take a, a lot of work to try and identify just what the underlying server infrastructure looks like. And not every game uses the, the same methods as well. So some games are very uh, very simple in terms of how they find their list of test targets. Or, sorry, how they find their list of servers rather than test targets. We consider them as test targets. <laughs> These are actually servers that uh, people are playing on. Um, in terms of being able to determine what your closest server is, we would run a latency test to that server, and that would be our test target. But also, that is exactly what the game client would be doing in most cases for end users as well. So if you're playing a video game, chances are the video game wants to push you onto the server that's closest to you that has players on it, mm -hmm. uh, and that is measured with latency. 
uh, obviously, you don't want to go on an empty server. If you have lots of servers running and you have lots of players who want to try and play games, you kind of want them all to be going onto the same servers. You don't want to spread them out too widely. Otherwise, you'll end up with lots of unpopulated servers or lots of servers with a few players on it when actually the best game experience is to have the servers as close to full as possible. So it's not just about lowest latency, but certainly it is um, particularly for uh, things like online shooters and, and anything else where latency is the the number one thing that gamers are looking out for and the number one thing that alters how the game is played, then being able to discover from the client what the lowest latency server is, is most important. And it's that sort of system that the game uses that we're kind of piggybacking off of. Sometimes it's really easy for us to to determine um, what that server is, and sometimes it's a, it's a very, very complicated process. Once we have worked all that out, then we can go ahead with creating not just the test, the way that we we run the measurements, but also how we determine uh, what test targets there are and what the update process looks like for this. Because some games very dynamic. The test targets, the I keep saying test targets, the the <laughs> list of servers that they play on uh, changes all the time. Uh, and this is because they are responding to changes in where their user base is. They are perhaps um, responding to just how many people are playing the game. And so they're, they're adding a whole bunch of new servers uh, and opening up new locations. And we have to respond to that. And some games, it's very, very static indeed. So as we've discussed in previous podcasts, the agent is a relatively small piece of software that's installed in low-powered ball-band routers. So how do you create a realistic test that doesn't involve installing the game itself in each router for something like Call of Duty, for example? So Call of Duty is a really good example. I talked just now about the process that is involved in finding the the servers that would be uh, tested against from our perspective or that played upon uh, by the end users. And how we do this, uh, how we create this test, is we are simply trying to create a measurement that says this is what your experience would be when playing on these game servers. We're not trying to say that your frames per second would be better. We're not trying to say that uh, your gaming experience beyond anything network related uh, would be better or worse. We, we're simply not in a position to do that. Mm-hmm. But it is true that for online gaming, latency and packet loss are the most important metrics and that is the thing that we're we're aiming to measure here so our games tests are a vehicle for creating those measurements and for call of duty uh, how we get to that point is very complicated um, and very interesting the test itself ultimately becomes very simple it's all the work that goes into it so for very latest call of duty so modern warfare 2 slash warzone 2.0 um this is a huge game, so choosing to support it was a, a, a no-brainer. It's obvious that we should try. Mm-hmm. Um, we always try to support games that we know are big releases or likely to be around for a long time. And although games like Call of Duty have regular releases, every every year, every two years, there's a, there's a new Call of Duty game, um, from an end-user perspective, sometimes those games don't feel all that different. But from our perspective, it's often everything has changed on the back end and, and we need to create a new test to, to support this. And for Call of Duty, we had to do an absolute ton of work. So to give you an overview of, of what we did here, we had a Windows machine with the game client installed so we could run the game, log in, play some Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that machine had to be connected to a another machine, a, a Linux machine, which actually captures the network traffic flowing from the, the game client out into the internet. Uh, and that machine also makes VPN connections. So we were trying to appear as if we were connecting from 
I think it was 94 different countries in the world. <laughs> uh, the particular VPN uh, provider we used was was very, very good for this. We had to do this uh, this way, not just because of the VPN, but actually because of the anti-cheat system that's in place for a lot of these games will prevent us from being able to check the network traffic in the way that we need to. And so we had to come up with a clever workaround there. Every time that we connect to the VPN, connect to a country, and then log in on the game client, uh, the game would contact a minimum 15, 16 different data centers um, in order to do things like authentication, uh, lots of background um, communications going on. And that's even before you actually get into the game itself uh, and then the game client and the game server then communicate with each other constantly during the course of a match. After this, we investigate exactly what we captured in terms of network data and we can work out which bit is which. Which bit is, okay, this is communicating to the authentication servers. This is the section where we're trying to work out what servers to connect to. And this is the bit where we're actually talking to the server that we've selected, and this is ongoing, uh, an ongoing conversation during the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, using this method, we're able to build up a picture of available servers and available IP addresses for us to, to use as test targets. And we then use a whole bunch of different methods uh, to determine the location the, the host and the provider for each server. So we might use uh, geographic IP lookup systems in order to determine whether this particular IP address is in this particular country or this particular city. And we'll do things like trace routing from targets all over the world in order to just correlate that information, to double check and say, is this actually right? We're not just relying on one single thing. Sometimes it's also really easy because um, the, the IP addresses aren't just IPs, they're also uh, host names and the providers will put the location of the server in the host name. And that, that sort of stuff is great. It saves us a lot of time, but we're not often that lucky. Uh, and then the final step there is actually, okay, so we have this list, but what can we actually do with these servers? Are they contactable by us? Can we ping them? Um, and ping is, you know, it's a commonly used term, especially with online gamers. Everyone knows what ping means. It's essentially used as a, an alternative way of saying latency. But um, from a network perspective, we also refer to ping in terms of the ICMP network protocol, which is basically a management protocol that is used for determining latency and availability of hosts online. And not everything will respond to ping. And in some cases, for example, with our Fortnite test, there was nothing that we could use ICMP for. Uh, we discovered using our um, our packet captures and looking at the way that the game communicates that there is actually a special protocol that has been created by uh, Epic, I believe, who make uh, Fortnite. Mm-hmm. And that is used as an alternative to ICMP uh, in order to communicate latency between uh, client and server. So we actually have to craft our own packets matching this protocol in order to come up with a test that will work. So, um, But for Call of Duty, we, we were kind of lucky. We were able to find uh, that most of these servers did actually respond to ICMP ping, and in a few cases they didn't. There was something very, very close by that is essentially equivalent to the server they'd be playing on and can be used as, as a proxy for that server and just say, okay, this is the equivalent of that. We're able to ping this server. Where it gets a little bit tricky is... I mentioned a little bit earlier how servers aren't necessarily uh, just based on lowest latency, what you'll you'll get connected to. The game wants to make sure that you're going to get connected to a server that has players on it. Yeah, There is also the idea that there are a lot of parameters that players can put in. So, for example, you might only want to play a certain couple of game modes. You might not want to play on servers that have more than 32 players or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you do that, sometimes it can take a while for you to connect to a server. And that's because there's this search going on in the background and it's trying to find an appropriate server based on all these parameters and it widens the search over time. 
and as time progresses the the search will look for servers further and further away uh, and we try and reflect that or un- at least understand that when we're designing our test as well so what what does this mean for us does this mean that we have to uh, it is appropriate for us to test all these servers in most cases that is yes or at least um, ensure that we are able to uh, to talk to them and then we have to think about the the little weird things like for example in call of duty your player skill level comes in as well. Uh, there is skill-based matchmaking, uh, which I know is a hot topic in video games. I have my own opinions on it, but that's a separate podcast. Uh, <laughs> and so your skill level, as determined by the game, also defines what server you get connected to. So all this sort of stuff does complicate factors entirely. And, and being completely honest, we obviously do not know the skill level of anyone who is running Samlo's tests. So we can't say uh, with 100% accuracy that if we get put on this server that is exactly the same server you'd get put on but it is a best effort sort of thing there is very little difference realistically in terms of the server you get put on if you're low level and the server you get put on if you're high level they're both going to be in very similar locations mm-hmm. um, but that's the sort of fun things that games will do that just to make our lives harder i think is the only reason they do it um but but that's the sort of thing we have to to bear in mind um and once we have all this information we have uh, a back end where we we put all this data in and we uh, use the system um, in a way that allows the the actual games test that runs on, on the Samlo's devices to just query this back end and go, okay, what is an appropriate list of targets for me to be using for this particular game? And we have this for all of our 23 games. And in, uh, as much as we'd love to be able to say, oh, we do the same thing every time, unfortunately, uh, this sort of bespoke approach to each game is true in 90% of cases. It's very, very rare that we are just able to craft something generic and be able to say, okay, well, we think these are the servers, we're just going to ping these. All this effort happens every single time. Uh, so it, it is it is a lot of work, um, and we're very, very happy with that work because it enables us to say with a great deal of confidence that this is a really accurate portrayal of end user experience and what sort of servers you end up on. And so the key thing there is that people don't need the game to test the servers. The agent that you put into people's ballbound routers can test those servers without obviously any game files on it at all. Yes, and just to reiterate, what what is actually running from the Samnos perspective, that the test that is running is, is very lightweight. It is very specifically aimed at being given a list of appropriate targets and then running a latency test that may be as simple as an ICMP ping, for example, or it may be something far more custom depending on the game. But we've taken all, all the hard work uh, that goes into creating this list of targets and we've made sure that the test itself doesn't need to do that. So ultimately, it can run on anything uh, and we, we can be happy with the accuracy of its results. We don't need to be installing the game on, on a white box or something as impossible as that. Okay, Jamie, so we know how you create the test. How do you decide how often they should run? We have a what we call a, a command and control system for uh, our embedded devices and our white boxes. Uh, and part of this is a system that we call the test schedules. Uh, a test schedule is very simple. It is a, a list of tasks for the device, for the agent to run. Um, and in, in the vast majority of cases, it, a task is a test. So uh, the games test, which will run each of our tests to the 23 games that we currently support, is a single task. Mm-hmm. And that task is listed in the test schedule. And the test schedule is associated with a device, with an agent. So uh, 
agent one two three four to random ID. So my my white box in my home is associated with a test schedule, uh, and on that test schedule, the game's test is listed. Uh, as part of this, any custom configuration that is required is uh, listed on a per test schedule basis. So you can have a test schedule where, for example, the speed tests are thirty seconds, and you can have a test schedule with a speed test of three seconds. Mm-hmm. There's that sort of flexibility there. And we also say how often we want we want these tests to run. And it's important to note that we very rarely say we want the test to run exactly at this point. It is possible, and it's something that we do for very specific trials or, or for uh, to help out uh, some of our customers with work that they're doing in their own labs. But generally speaking, when we want tests to run every hour, we simply say in the test schedule, every hour. And it's the device itself that uses a particular algorithm to determine what time that actually translates to. So my device might go, okay, every hour means that's 16 minutes past the hour and 32 seconds. Uh, And then the device for my neighbor might say that that's 42 minutes past the hour and 12 seconds. There's a little bit more randomness and things that go into that, but that is essentially how that happens. So uh, a white box or an embedded agent has a test schedule which is a list of tasks that it knows it has to run on a particular frequency. When the time comes to actually run this test, uh, we don't just run it straight off. The device will check to make sure that it's, it's actually appropriate for this test to be running. And by that, I mean, are we about to interfere with someone's internet connection? Or alternatively, uh, is the usage of the, the internet connection about to interfere with our tests? It works both ways. Mm-hmm. And we do th- and we, we manage this with a system we call cross-traffic detection. And it's just a way of determining whether there is a significant amount of bandwidth usage for to and from the internet. Uh, and this can be from devices that are plugged into the white box, for example, or if we're using the embedded agent, it's anything that's that's going through the, the agent itself. So the CPE, for example, my, my Virgin Media router, uh, and also for anything uh, flowing across wireless networks. All we're doing here is we're just checking to see how busy the network is. We, we don't care about what the traffic actually is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when when we're explaining the, uh, how this works to to clients and, and to, to consumers, they're asking, well, how do you know when I'm running Netflix so that your Netflix test picks this up? And we have to explain that actually it doesn't matter at all. All we want to all we want here is that you're not using the internet so that we can run our tests. And we can run our Netflix test and it has nothing to do with whether you're looking at Netflix or whether you even have a Netflix account. That it's totally separate. We could have our device in an empty home with no users who have no accounts to anything and we'd still be able to run all our tests. It's a completely separate thing. Um, and so when we're happy that the, the network uh, usage is below a certain threshold value, which is configurable as well, uh, then we go ahead and we actually we run the test. And, and the test itself has all the configuration details it needs, uh, thanks to the test schedule. Uh, and, and the test is executed. And it collects up the results. And then it sends the results to us. So Jamie, the test is run and completed on the device. What happens to the data next? All things being well, the device, uh, the Samnose agent, will send the data straight back to us. Uh, it'll contact our edge servers. We, we call these our, our data collection servers. Um, th- these have been a part of the Samnose infrastructure right from the start, back in the days where we had one data collection server and a small MySQL database that all the data went into. Uh, things are very different now, but ultimately the, the structure of how this works is very similar. So these data collection servers and the caches that, that work alongside them deal with all the communication with the agents that are trying to send us the, the, 
the test output. They also deal with things like devices activating and, and any other kind of miscellaneous communication. We have uh, a huge number of agents, uh, tens of millions of devices. Um, they've all been designed to, to not overwhelm us with communication, but they do need to be sending us uh, test results as soon as they can, realistically, because we want to provide a near real-time view of what's going on. So the data is sent to us, and the data in this case is basically a text output. Um, it's similar to CSV. Um, mm-hmm. Each test will provide uh, results in a very specific format, and these results will get sent via the edge servers into our data pipeline. And our, our data pipeline in 2023 is a, it's a very interesting and, and involved thing. There's a lot of APIs that are now part of this process. We make uh, heavy use of uh, tools like Kafka and Flume in order to be able to manage and uh, manipulate the data in certain ways to ensure that we're, we're getting all the, the metadata we need included with it and that we're getting everything um, formatted correctly. And then ultimately, it all ends up uh, with the rest of our data in our big data storage. And we use Google's BigQuery for this. Uh, we previously had used a Hadoop platform, which was uh, what everyone used to refer to as big data before big <laughs> data got really, really big. And then, as mentioned prior to that, we were using MySQL. So the the data ends up in, in BigQuery. And at this point, it is it is uh, in its final resting place. The data isn't going to, to change anymore. This is what it looks like in its final format. And it includes... The, uh, the metadata that we've collected, including things like uh, what type of hardware this device was on, um, what ISP we believed it to be on at the time, what speed tier we think it was on at the time, uh, and anything particularly client-related. And by that, I mean uh, what project this was part of. Uh, an individual device doesn't know whether it, uh, it's part of our Ofcom project or if it is a, a volunteer in South America. But uh, by the time it, it fits into our, our BigQuery uh, database, then all this has been collected and it's all associated with every single row of data that we have collected up for these tests. At that point, the question is, what do we do with this data? Mm-hmm. So we have an analytics platform um, we call Samnos One, and this is a a uh, very fully featured platform that allows us to um, produce uh, a huge variety of graphs and other methods of statistical analysis on the data that we store. Uh, this is used uh, really heavily by us internally and also by uh, many of our clients and by our end users. And this allows you to see what your your connection actually looks like over time. It allows you to drill down to individual results. It allows you to compare what your say, what your FIFA latency was to your Call of Duty latency uh, and also to your 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 standard Samnos uh, latency metrics and also maybe your, your web browsing results and, and things like that. There's a lot you can do with this and, and you can look at an awful lot of data all in one go. So there, there is a lot to learn with the, the analytics platform and it's a, it's a really great tool because it's really easy to use to begin with. It's it's very, very user-friendly. Mm-hmm. But if you get into the weeds, you can, you can really do some very, very clever stuff with that. Finally, we also use this data that we've collected for our report. So um, we're in the UK, obviously, and and we know that uh, Ofcom, the telecommunications regulator in the UK, uh, likes reporting on uh, the state of broadband, uh, consumer broadband in the UK uh, using our data. Uh, So we have a dedicated team of data analysts, and they will produce reports on a regular basis uh, for various clients, including Ofcom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
We use this data in a anonymized fashion. So at no point does anyone know which bit of data is associated which, with which individual. That's not what these reports are about. These reports are about making comment on the state of you know, fiber broadband at 80 megabits per second versus uh, cable, that sort of thing. It's, it's all uh, aggregated and it's all trying to look at things at a higher level. And we use a variety of tools for this. And uh, a lot of our analysts like using R, which is the, the Python-like uh, language that's used uh, pretty much as standard by uh, data analysts worldwide. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't use our analytics platform as such. That is very, uh, very heavy duty number crunching, querying the raw data directly and going through an awful lot of statistical analysis that is beyond my ability. I have great respect <laughs> for it, but uh, at some point my uh, I, my brain starts shutting down. But the, um, the reports are are excellent. Uh, we're always improving on, on how we produce them, not just in terms of uh, the accuracy. I think the accuracy has always been the focus, but in terms of how quickly we can generate these reports and what more interesting things can we say about them. And the, the great thing is when we when we add tests like the games test, when we add new games in there, when we add uh, new ways in which we can uh, test popular applications on the internet, it just increases the number of really interesting things we can say about what a given person's life might be like on the internet. So uh, we can say really interesting things about the average UK consumer. We can say the really interesting things about anyone who's uh, who has a white box uh, as part of a project anywhere in the world. The more tests that we run, the bigger picture we get, and the more likely we are that we are stating exactly what it is like for that person. Because speed tests are all great, and I know we've talked a lot about speed tests in the past, but if you're anything like me, then I'm not downloading that often. I'm watching a lot of Netflix, I'm watching a lot of YouTube, I'm playing a lot of video games. That just so happens that that's something that Samnos covers. Every single one of those things is something that we, we have a test for, and we're able to produce accurate data that looks a lot like what I'm actually experiencing. Uh, There is a direct correlation between my performance uh, when I'm trying to to browse YouTube or I'm trying to to use Twitter and what my SamNose device is actually telling me is going on as well. So uh, it is very much about representing real-world performance and and representing what a a consumer is genuinely doing, what one of our volunteers is, uh, is experiencing when they're using the internet. That's it for this edition of the Samnos podcast. To read the article that accompanies this podcast, make sure to go to samnos.com forward slash spotlight. Until next time, goodbye.